Sow retention is the thing that has stood out. Sow retention is responsible for so much of the efficiencies in pig production today. Um, it's, it's an absolutely fundamental figure and it's key to process control. Swine. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. VVC Premix from DSM Fermanish combines ultra-pure benzoic acid with nature-identical flavorings to safeguard feed and improve performance. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Cloud Farms, swine management to the next level. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Swine It podcast. I'm Dr. Tara Donovan, your host today, and I'd like to introduce you to our guest, Stephen Hall. Stephen is with Stephen Hall Management, Quill, and Pig Limited. He's a production strategist, an international data analyst, and a writer. Stephen describes himself as a non-academic from the University of Life. Stephen, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you. So Stephen's worked in the pig um, production industry for over 50 years, and he has a multitude of experiences. And so, Stephen, nobody knows you better than yourself. So I'd like you to introduce yourself a little bit. Just tell us about where you got to where you are today and some of those experiences. Okay. I first went onto a farm at the age of 12. I don't come from a farming family. Um, and, uh, I fell in love with, uh, with the pigs straight away because, uh, the first, my first experience on the farm was to see a litter of pigs born. And that was it. I was, uh, I was sold into the industry from that point. I then worked in school holidays and weekends through to my school leaving age at 16 and went to work on a farm. I've always worked in mixed enterprise, but but my responsibility was always the pigs. Uh, although I thoroughly enjoyed the harvest and I enjoyed the cattle and all of that sort of thing, I, pigs was my passion. Um, I went to farming school for a, a few months to get a certificate, which we uh, we need over here to impress our employers and to move through, uh, through work. I then worked for my original employer for over 10 years. And in that time, I met and married my wife, Sue. Um, and over the years, we, we had a large family of six children, three boys, three girls. Um, I moved um, about 12 years after leaving school to another job with another uh, farming family. And I worked a similar length of time with them. Again, totally responsible for the pigs, but we were doing um, cattle, beef cattle and veal calves, actually open yarded veal calves, which was interesting, and the harvest, which I, I always thoroughly enjoyed. Um, with a big family and with wages the way they were then, um, we felt that it was time for me to look for something a bit more th- so that I could, um, you know, really, I just wanted to bless my family a bit more and all. That was why we I moved jobs. I moved into the breeding companies. I became a breeding stock salesman for a short period of time. 
we were obviously a good team because we were actually acquired by PIC with the company I went to was NPD, um, the National Pig Development Company in the UK. They were bought by PIC and PIC, I think, sort of spotted something in me, um, my passion for production and asked me if I would like to join the production team um, after a few months of, of continuing as a salesman at the time. I just didn't have to think about it. It was what I wanted to do. I ended up as a UK boar production manager and at a time when we were moving uh, towards the studs and AI and, and supplying our genetics in plastic bags to be quite honest with you that was a very interesting and exciting experience and, and I really enjoyed that in 98 um, I don't know about other parts of the world but in 98 we really hit the buffers over here I was working quite away from home with PIC a lot of the time and decided I would uh, volunteer for redundancy because I knew that would happen. Um, and um, I came home I, and uh, I looked for work over here and eventually an opportunity came up um, for me to uh, manage a startup in, in pig recording software, something I'd never had any involvement with um, as my job with PIC was to my Monday, my Monday morning desk was covered in all the off test results for the boars, um, you know, each week. So I was fairly good at re reading the data, but as for actually setting up recording and all the rest of it, it uh, was not in my skill set. But again, the company who interviewed saw something and decided to give me the job. So I became um, overnight, really, the managing director of a startup in the UK. Um, and it was just at the turn of the century. So there was a big fear over here that uh, everything would go pop in the computers because of the, the whole time sequence thing, uh, except for in, in Windows. And there were no Windows programs over here. This was my big advantage. I, I had a Windows program. And we went from a standing start in, in 1999 to recording about 75% of the UK herd, which at the time was about 400,000 sows over here. And uh, within that, I introduced, um, I stopped selling the program and started an annual lease agreement with farmers, which was much more equitable for them. Um, and I moved the system onto a central service so we weren't charging off to every farm to support people or trying to explain things over a telephone. We could get straight into the program and help them. Um, I managed the UK uh, herd data um, for about 22, 23 years, and, and in fact, until this year. Um, in 2013, I left the company because I wanted to look at developing advanced business metrics. I wanted to go deeper than continuous flow production metrics, um, which are quite conventional. And I believe there was an awful lot of data um, and information hidden in those in those. Um, metrics that we I could tease out. So the last 10 years, I've been developing algorithms to go much deeper into all the data that we have. And we possess mountains of data. And there's a lot of wealth in that data that we're not tapping into. So that's taken me through the last 10 years. And the, the standout thing for me really is I've developed the algorithms into something I call guilt watch together. Um, because 
looking at all the figures, the thing that stands out most is we need process control in pig production and sow retention is a foundational element of process control. And so we start with the, I start everything with the guilt and everything flows from the guilt uh, and the success and the efficiencies all come from getting that part of the job right. Um, I am a great um, believer in the sciences that are available to us as an industry. Uh, they help us um, to assimilate all the opportunities that we have. Um, the sciences, I believe, are well ahead of where we are in the day, um, and there are some you know, bridges to cross there. But fundamentally, um, you know, it, it's such an exciting industry to be. It's more exciting today. Uh, I should be 70 in a few weeks. I started at 16. Well, I started at 12, really. I'm more excited today than I was at the age of 12, seeing my first litter born, because there's just so much opportunity for us as an industry now but we have got to work together. We've got to work with the truth. And that's what data is. Data is the truth. As far as I'm concerned, you cannot argue with it um, unless you corrupt it. Um, so that's really where I'm at. That's That's been my journey. And as I said, I genuinely mean this. I'm just so excited to still be part of this industry. I want to keep going till I'm gone. Um, and I hope I get the opportunity to do that. Meet AccuFast, your trusted partner in raising efficient, healthy, and sustainable pork. We're not just about genetics, we're about tailored solutions that set you on your path to success, no matter how you define it. At AccuFast, we channel our investments into three crucial pillars, our genetic offering, proprietary technology platform, and leading commercial measurement system, ensuring tangible results for our partners. Visit our website at AccuFastSwine.com or reach out to an AccuFast customer success rep to discuss how we can help you create the future you've been working towards. AccuFast, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Well, I love your optimism. Um, that's wonderful to, to have somebody who's been in this um, kind of tough business a long time and still be so excited about it. So that's great. And I, and I hadn't thought about Y2K for a while, but I do remember the company that I worked with, we were worried about all of our production data um, at yes. that time. And, and of course, yeah. all of our, our farms, um, you know, just uh, things not working like generators and et cetera. So I do remember that time uh, I, was, I was deep into, into production and, and a vet in the field at that time. Yes. So that's yeah. an interesting um, um, thought back. So I want to learn a little bit more about your this pig production philosophy, this design um, called Guilt Watch Together. And from what I understand, it's you know this is my interpretation. So you you tell me if this is yes. the yeah. how I should think about it. But it's kind of the guilt and her longevity in the herd, her production capacity for her whole life and her progeny as 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 a lifetime concept, right? So her whole yes. yeah. you know from from her birth to her end of life. And so then you look at kind of the economics of the whole herd and all of those females. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the concept. Am I right there? Yes. I'm, and I'm looking at life cycle. The very important part of this is I don't look at continuous flow. I look at life cycle. So I isolate cohorts of gilts coming in and I follow them through as a herd within the herd. One of my analysis structures is herd within the herd and we have got uh, several different herds within the herd that we can analyze. For instance, um, you've got 
people use service targets. I don't know what they're like with you over there, but with here, we had a philosophy of service targets. So you serve to farrow a certain number of animals and whatever your farrowing rate is doing, you hit your service target relative to your farrowing rate. That actually creates a ghost herd within the herd. And it's very easy to pick that herd out when you look at cohorts of animals and you follow them through. So you could put a thousand sows down, you know, a thousand gilts in, run them through, and suddenly you find your herd is now 1,250 animals and you're producing less pigs weaned for the thousand sows that you wanted in the first place and you're finding that you're running statistically 250 sows that are doing nothing all year round they're not the same animals but they are a herd within the herd and you can imagine the economic implications of that so the cohort is is key to what i'm doing is is isolating exclusive groups of animals and then following them through and it's been 10 years so i've learned a lot over that time um from where i started to where i am today um it's just been you know a great adventure really to to discover what's going on underneath that continuous flow metric that we go to i mean i've got i've literally got no time for anybody who talks to me about their pigs weaned per sow per year to me, that figure is is meaningless um, because it's it's made up of two figures. It's made up of the litters per sow per year and the pigs weaned per litter. And I was interesting. I was talking to a group of farmers last week, uh, two weeks ago actually, and I put a table up of the top ten farms. And, and this is out of a you know a, a population of one hundred and fifty thousand sows. The top ten farms in this population ranked only on weaned per sow per year. And the um, one of the the, the the herd that came second actually, um, I then added into that. Although they were ranked on that one figure, I added another nine figures, uh, performance figures in, and I indexed the whole thing. So I gave them a ranking of the index on the opposite side of the table, and the herd that ended up second dropped well down the list. Three of the top ten dropped right out of the list, down as far as ranking fifty when you looked at the whole performance. And in the case of the second farm, somebody <laughs> kindly pointed out to me that that she'd weaned more than she'd had born alive per sow per year. And the point there is that there was a there was a compromise in the recording of the litters per sow per year. Animals were getting weaned earlier, so they were increasing the litters per sow per year. When in a, in effect, that meant that they were weaning more than they were having born because of that single two-figure calculation. So that really lifted the lid on everything for me, and I went after the truth within the data, and that that's what I'm doing. And as I said, sow retention is the thing that has stood out. Sow retention is responsible for so much of the efficiencies in pig production today. Um, it's, it's an absolutely fundamental figure and it's key to process control. Um, and it's very, very important. And the context I look at um, or look at this through is the three E's. I look at the economic implications of what I'm looking at. I look at the ethical implications of it, you know, the animal welfare effects and all the rest of the way we manage our animals. And I'm looking at the environmental um, impact, the efficiencies there as well. I look at efficiency and I look at responsibility within that context of the three E's. I think the, the three E's that you talk about is really is really interesting. And I have a couple of questions regarding that a little bit more global. But 
first you got my you got my interest um, thinking about really down to the sow level and this herd within a herd. And I, I wondered what um, what the difference, maybe a batch production system might um, alleviate a little bit of that. Can Do you have experience with a batch farrowing system? Yes, I do. And I also have that in two, two dimensions. One, it's batch production. So we're looking at three week. But I'm also looking at single parity herds as well. So you bring all the gilts in. And then you lock down the herd. That's it. We don't bring anything else in. It's, it's a characteristic of outdoor production over here because we tend to move sites every two and a half or so years, um, in rotation. Um, so it's, it's, we just have a herd sitting there for that length of time and we take them what's left of them at parity six. They're culled out and all the uh, equipment is moved onto the next site and another, you know, group of gilts come in. There is very little difference in the, continuous flow metrics of, of herd production between between continuous flow and single parity. There are the same problems with sow retention. Um, and because within that, there's still mixing uh, between sow group service groups, um, that, you know, we, we see all the same pressures really. And there's, there's no, I don't see any advantages in actual production performance with single parity animals. And I don't see any particular in, um, improvement in production performance in batch uh, farrowing, except that it can help the work schedules. And the, so the improvement comes through a better working schedule for the farm staff. But it's not necessarily, you know, a direct physical response to just going into batch. Batch helps the workforce more than it helps the, the pig herd, if that makes sense. Going back to herd within a herd, everybody has, um, whether you're uh, weekly, your three weekly or your five weekly batching, um, you will have herds within the herd that are in fact your service groups. So in a weekly production, if you're four week weaning, you've got 21 service groups. If you're five week weaning, you've got 22 service groups. And I run a report that looks at those herds on a monthly basis and I update it for certain you know, people who want it. So what you get in that report is you get your 21 herds of your weekly production in detail. They are ordered by parity. They are then highlighted um, by performance. And so when you go through that, you've got a complete map of your herd in 21 separate little herds within the herd. And if you think about it, the most important date in a sow's calendar is her next service date. If she's pregnant, then the most important date you are working towards is her next service date. Um, and you're managing her through to that next service date. And you want to bring her to that in the right condition um, to go on and have another production cycle, or you're going to cull her. If you're going to cull her because you're using elective culling within your management strategy, then you can start to line up the gilts to come in the guilt to take her place and therefore within the groups the guilts you want to come in so you you kind of you do that and you've got five months to play with you know you you're not suddenly scratching your head three weeks out from weaning think where are we going to get our guilts from you've had them in train you've been preparing them and you're comfortable in your management you're not having to think what am i going to do next you've already planned what you were going to do next five months ago because you penciled that in to what's got to happen in terms of guilt flow 
If you take that a stage further, you get to a point when you're working hard with your sow retention and you're lifting your retention up to where, I mean, my target for sow retention would be, um, you know, for me, perfection would be 85% at parity five. Around the world, it barely averages 50%. That's 50 replacement gilts out of every 100 make it to parity five. And there are an awful lot that don't make it that, you know, to that. You've got, I've seen retention rates at parity five as low as 20%. So that's the importance of improving sow retention. So you do a lot of things at the same time as you understand what you're really working with. So if you've got a really good sow retention, the next thing to do with your herds within the herd service groups is to fix the number of gilts you bring in. Then you're taking complete control of, of your the process of, of, of populating your service groups, your little herds within the herd. And that really works well once you've begun to get confidence and you're beginning to see the improvements um, step by step. And finally, in, in within the service group control, we can then go back to the single parity herds and we can pinch an idea from there. And it is this, that if your weekly production, you bring all your replacement gilts for the next three-week period into the first week and you form an exclusive service group and you just keep doing that every three weeks you so all the other service groups are a multiparous but you're starting to create single parity service groups within the flow of your 21 herds within the herd as they go round their production cycles it takes just over two years to have in a parity six herd all exclusive parity service groups and they work like this with five week weaning you have parity one and parity five in week one parity two and parity three in week two and parity four and parity six in week three and what it does is because my objective in 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 production management is to remove as much stress as we possibly can and that is a massive uh, management of stress. You are removing so much stress. You never mix animals you, and you get the whole thing under control. And, and I can imagine every pig producer sitting there listening to this and thinking, yes, but this happens and that happens. And, and I know all those things happen. So what you're doing is you're, you're building that up and you're building up and it takes you back to sow retention. If you can get your sow retention right, then you can do all these other things. This is what really is important. Um, and so that's what's exciting because it, it is, I see people getting nearer and nearer that. Um, I've got somebody um, uh, whose records will show quite clearly that they are consistently reaching a 76, 77% retention rate at parity five. And I know they can go on and improve that further. The, yeah. the thing there is that they then go on and keep sows to parity 10 and parity 11. Perhaps we'll talk about the effect of that in a minute. It, it's good. It looks good, but economically it doesn't stack up um, because you've got a lot of animals then sitting in um, sow spaces the more productive younger animals should be taking up, but they're not because these animals are being held onto. He's got a low replacement rate, but the economics of it don't don't really work. So it's really interesting what we can do, but it all is predicated on getting our sow retention right in the first place. And that's the target, got to be the target, um, you know, quite clearly. Um, and, and it's interesting. Um, the big issue is that, 
we've got a same mortality problem. I hear it or wherever I go, or same mortality, big point of concentration at the moment because our same mortality is 15, 20%, whatever. Um, same mortality is 100%, period. Same mortality is 100%. Same mortality is divided into two central um, references, dead on farm or electively culled. But the, the impact of a sow being removed from the farm that is same mortality. So you've got to start to open same mortality up and look at every aspect of it and what you really mean by same mortality. Because same mortality, when the sums are done, when I see the arguments um, around same mortality, they will look at um, you know the, the cost of removing an animal and, and all these things will come into it. Where fundamentally, same mortality is one hundred percent. And the more of same mortality that is elective culling, the more control you've got over your same mortality. So if your same mortality is only five percent, then you have got control over ninety-five percent of your same mortality. And if within that you're achieving really good sow retention, then your elective culling is happening when you want it to, which is at parity five, parity six. So that's another way of kind of looking at the data and thinking, wow, there's much more to this than than meets the eye. And I think what drives me is a desire to learn how things are, not how I see them or not how they seem when I look at them. I want to learn how things are. And this is what the last 10 years for me has been all about. I'm determined to learn how things are in this industry for me, in my area of it, which is production. And this whole business of, of, of looking at life cycles has just took the lid off it. It's like opening a Pandora's box. And it's wonderful because you can, you've got so many challenges to begin to take on and, and to move forward with. And that is really exciting. And the point I've got to most recently, I do a, my first report, I do a three-stage report. My first report is a one pig report so i take the guilt at eight kilos weaned off her mum she's she's an f1 i take her through to 130 kilos i don't know what that is in pounds because sadly we moved to <laughs> kilos many years ago over here i prefer pounds but um and i then uh, 250 days so i've got a weight that she comes in, a weight that I want her to be at when I serve her into the breeding herd and an age. So I've got to grow her at 550 grams a day, not the kind of wonderful growth rates that the geneticists have been able to achieve in all the work that they've done over the last 60 years. I have a challenge. I've got to prepare that sow. So everybody's talking about sow longevity at the moment. And to me, so longevity and any genetic, you know, um, connection, if there's a gene for so longevity, well, well and good. But I'm not going to rely on any genes for so longevity. You've given me a guilt that produces big litters and is 50% of my, um, you know, my, my finished pig. It's my job to prepare that guilt. Now, I want the breeding companies to tell me how to prepare that guilt. And I want my guilt from my experiences to be around 130 kilos, 250 days, and I'll do the rest when it comes to sow retention. I would like to some advice on what she's meant to weigh as she goes into farrow 
at the end of each of those production cycles how much of so conditions she can afford to lose in lactation what she's and then therefore what she's going to weigh at the next service for the next production cycle that's the kind of information that i need it's it's my job to prepare that animal and if i get that preparation right in the way i feed her um then you know i'm doing my job you know it's the husbandry and all that has in my working lifetime got lost it's, it's really got lost we just got you know big swing per so per year i've got an fcr of this and a daily gain of this and i'm cooking on gas and the trouble is what's left for the stock people to do there's no art and craft anymore you know there's no understanding at that level and it's it's interesting if i go back to the start of my working life i i learned off men who probably started their working life now relative to my age a hundred years ago so they were giving me all this old stuff that they'd learned from their dads and you can see and some of it actually still carries um we know all about it now and we understand the science of it but the the bare facts still they still carry today and that's exciting because now i know far more than they did because the scientists are informing me as to why this particular thing is and one of the things that stuck with me one of the few things that i still hold on to really hold on to is that for me a guilt is a guilt until she farrows her second litter and i will treat her thus so she is still, um, you know, she's not fully formed into a sow and I'm not going to just, she has a first litter and that's it, you're a sow, join the rest and get on with her. It's, no, she's a guilt still and I still want to be looking after her as a guilt. I'm still in that period of preparation, the preparation through to entering the herd and now the preparation into what I would call the engine room. So when I look at a herd analysis, I look at, Parities one and two is the guilt herd. There's another herd within the herd here. Um, the parities one and two are the guilt herd. Parities three, four, and five are my engine room. You know, they are my, they are the power of the, the herd. Parities six and above, well, parity six can go two ways. It can be my risk herd or it can be my herd that's supporting any downstream, um, or rather, sorry, upstream failure in, in the sales, because there'll be a, a degree of that. So my sixes are a, you know, a confirmation of, of, of the very best animals who've gone all the way through, and I only retain the sixes that have had no breeding failure in their record, but they really are the premier animals in my herd. Anything above that is risk. So you've got the risk herd at the far end, the engine room in the middle, and the guilt herd in parities one and two. And again, that's all part of the pattern of taking control and, and, and trying to drive for this sow retention, which delivers so much. Um, so that that's really important. And I've had, I've had the joy very recently of connecting with, with um, three, uh, I call them young men. I'm, they're probably, they're a little bit more than young, but they're young men. They're all co-founders of a, of a company that is um, building and it's building um, self-contained environments. Uh, and it'll either retrofit old buildings or it, it, um, you know, it will come and build you a new building. And, and we, we kind of, we just, we're just swapping. We, I, I speak to them every Thursday evening. We, we link up, we have fun, but we're sharing ideas. A bit like the old boys when I started out sharing ideas with me, sharing their experience. And um, I love acronyms. So I've called this 
this thing that we're doing, I've called that LEAP because it's a learning exchange asset partnership. In other words, we're exchanging our learning. I'm learning a lot off them about um, biosecurity and, and this kind of thing and how we can really um, control the, 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 uh, in, the, um, the, the environment within in, in the house. Um, and it's so I'm sharing my assets with them. They're sharing my assets with That's the partnership. There's no, absolutely no financial connection in any shape or form. It is just one of sharing experience from our lives in the um, – and they're, they're much cleverer than I am anyway, so I'm probably getting the, the advantage in this particular exchange. But even in that, the excitement that I feel when I think, okay, so we can – we can stick a building down now. We can stick it on a slatted floor. We stick it over a slurry pit and suddenly the world opens up again. And I was on a farm in Scotland just a few days ago with a young man who wants to do his own research and development. And, um, we, we, that was weaning day. So we'd walked around. We'd looked at the weaning. I'd made some comments about the way they were weaning. I prefer to wean whole litters. Uh, I certainly like to see pigs sexed fairly early on into male and female. They were doing neither. They were doing smalls, mediums and larges, um, and they were all together. So we had the conversation. Then we went to this room that he's building at the moment. So he's got a slatted floor, lovely insulated, and it's just a shell. He's, it's going to be a firing shed. And I suggested these, just these couple of thoughts to him. I said, you've got a wonderful opportunity here. You could actually make this a dual purpose shed because we've been in the flat decks for weaning and looking at the latest weanings going in. You can make a firing shed here, which you then convert into a flat deck on weaning day. So you just take the sows out and and you switch your infrastructure a little bit to accommodate what you need for the weaners that you have in the flat deck at the moment. And then you can keep them in there for however many flat decks and firing rooms you've got that you can convert into the same purpose. So all of your firing flat deck is one um, you know, one set of buildings now, you, but they're dual purpose. So you're keeping whole litters together and your actual hard work at weaning, which is, you know, filtering them out and where you want them to go, that will happen at 20, 25 kilos, perhaps, depending on how many buildings you've got. But the other thing you gain from that is you now, because it's a, a you know, blood, sweat and tears day weaning on a lot of farms, you can now just take the sows away. They're weaned and you can now decide when you're going to wean them. If you wean them on Sunday, then you can wean them at the end. You can serve them at the end of the week and your firings will start at the start of the week when they reach the end of their production cycle. So you've suddenly got even more control just by thinking things through a bit more and taking the advantage. And then to cap it all, you can look at the um, gas extraction from the slurry pit, which produces hydrogen and ammonia, and you're building this wonderful circular economy within your building. Because to go again back to the start of my working life, one of the first things somebody told me about pigs was you can use everything but the squeak. Um, in other words, every part of the pig is is recyclable in one one way or another. And now we're looking at the the waste from the pig, the the, the, the muck and we're looking at, at um, you know making that part of our circular economy of the business of pig production so it's just you know, probably people think I'm daft but that's what is exciting we, we are in an exciting industry despite and I have to be honest I've been through several cycles of downturn and, and the pain of that um, 
and I, I took redundancy in, along the way as part of that. I do feel the impact of that, and and that's hard. But I would throw into that, though I'm a one-man band, these last 10 years have been the hardest 10 years of my working life, and they have cost me the most um, on, on more than one level. Um, but that is part of the nature of the industry we're in, you know, and, and obviously this time around a lot of people have got out, a lot of family farms have either been gobbled up by the integrators or they've, you know, they, they, they've gone. It's part of the life that we live. So it marks the character of people in this industry. And, and that's also uh, very, very uh, much part of my passion for the industry. It's a wonderful community of people to work in. You know, from the cleverest scientists to the young people just starting out on the farms, there's something vocational about the people, uh, you know, the majority of the people in this industry. And that's kind of special. That's kind of precious in a lived life, you know, and I've had a privileged life and all the way through. But, you know, we don't just live for work. We live for the quality of life. And I work in an industry that that actually gives a lot in that area of life. I get a lot from the quality of the people um, and I get a lot from watching just how well they handle everything that they're up against because they get out of every, every get a bit every day and they've probably got one of the highest levels of risk, um, you know, uh, in any industry, really. Um, you know, it's so unpredictable. It's so uncertain. They face more uncertainty than most industries. Um, so they face challenges which I think make people, actually. They develop those people, and that's where that quality of person in the industry really comes from. So that, that's, that's really exciting. You know, that's, that's just wonderful. <laughs> I I waffle on a bit. You have to stop me. <laughs> no, you're 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 great. You touched on uh, most of the uh, the things that I had that I wanted to chat about. So it was perfect. You didn't. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> I didn't do any work. So um, I want to I want to talk just a little bit more about the very last topic, and it's about kind of the passion and the tenacity of pig producers, and I think of people in agriculture. Maybe um, if you if you even widen that and. My husband is a dairy veterinarian, and so he and I have had conversations just about the the toughness of people and and you know people that are involved in ag, you know, and in all of the the trials that they go through. And so, um, you know, how can we as as professionals and um, uh, you know friends and colleagues in in the area continue to you know have conversations about um, you know mental health and just making sure that, you know, our, um, our clients and our friends are taken care of. And so I think that's something that, um, those of us that have seen, you know, you certainly, um, more than I have, but, you know, after 20 years, I definitely understand the impacts that the, the cycles and the, um, economics can have on, you know, our, the passionate people in this industry. So how can we support each other better? I think um, in my past, in my early life, I did suffer uh, I, I, from from the age. Ironically, although I'm <laughs> excited about everything, I was treated quite early on as a teenager for depression, and unfortunately, that developed, um, and I had a series of breakdowns early on in my marriage that culminated in a mental breakdown, and I was hospitalised for a while. And I came out of that, and I I I knew I discovered and I won't bother to 
go into the detail, but I knew why the things were happening to me. I, I found the reasons why. So I knew what I'd got to do. Um, and I get up every morning and I sit on the edge of the bed and I can go to the left and I can go into the darkness that has been not far away from me through most of my life. Or I can choose to go to the right. And I, I, I choose to go to the right. It's, it's almost a, you know, a, a daily action. I will go to the right. And out there is, is all the opportunity and all the wonderful things that go on. In, in the dark areas, what we can do for each other is, is try and understand the other person. Um, and people will open up when they begin to know they're being understood. So my wife would listen to the biggest load of nonsense coming out of me in the worst times, but she would listen and, and she would keep listening. Um, I owe her an incredible debt uh, of gratitude. Um, you, they, they just want to be heard, but they have such a low view of themselves that it's a job to even prize them open because they don't think they've got anything of um, value to offer. And when you're struggling as a farmer, sometimes the struggles confirm how you feel about yourself, which isn't actually true. And, and so our job is to say that, you know, what's happening isn't, that isn't you, you know, deep in your heart. You're a farmer because that's what you love. That's what you love to do. We're often people who can't, you know, we don't express very well, um, yet we have wonderful ideas and we can innovate. Um, but you have to draw that out. There's a lot of introversion, I think. That's the predominant temperament within in farming get them together and you get the extrovert but they work on their own so much that that tends to emphasize the introvert in a person so it, it's it's the connection we've got to make connection and, and listening is the first part of connecting and and that's really important to the person who's really struggling even if that means sitting in silence if you're prepared to sit in silence with somebody they know you care and and it goes that deep and then together you walk up out of that silence out of that darkness and you build relationships which you know are valuable and and those people that often are struggling the most actually have the most to offer the industry in which we work, but nobody takes the time to break through the silences, to break through the darkness that the, you can see them in. And we just stand on the outside of them going, I don't really know what to do here. Well, as somebody who has, you know, suffered, but also found, you know, an incredible, um, you know, incredible life out of that. And it adds value to what, why I see everything the way I do. Um, it's important to just listen, you know, to listen to, and to learn how things are. That's what I said earlier on in this conversation to me. What drives me in life now is I want to learn how things are, not how they seem, not how I think I see them, but how are they? And for me in my work, it's been cracking open the data and thinking, actually, that result didn't show me that this is actually happening here. But now I've applied a different calculation in there. This is what is happening. And, and that's fantastic. And so in that situation, you know, you, you have to go, you, 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 they, people who have struggled, they, they, they get you, they get you straight away. They understand you. So they're looking 
for the genuineness, the authenticity within you. Um, and when they connect with that, they're safe. They feel safe. We've got to make people feel safe. And to make them feel safe is to say, actually, you will be all right because you are all right. Whatever you feel about yourself, I don't feel that. And I'm going to show you why I don't feel that, you know. And so you're, you're positive with him. But it's a, it's a journey. It's not, a, oh, I'll go and visit Jack and in an hour's time I'll lift him off his backside and he'll be out there happy as Larry, you know, shoveling hay. No, you, you start a journey with them, but you, you almost by your attitude to them say, I'm going to stick on this journey with you because you – to me, are precious. You know, you're part of the life, part of the world I live in. There's a lot to you that you don't seem to be able to express yourself. And and, and that's where I would say, um, you know, that's where I would go with in my answer to your question. I don't know whether that's helpful or not, but that's how I see it. And, and, um, and for me, I've got to say, my wife and I, we became Christians when we were older. And that, that also brings a dimension to life, which I think a lot in the community of farming actually share that 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 um that not everyone but that outlook on life also and you get it in the conversations it pops up you know so it's that deep felt you know self really it's 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 discovering yourself and we sometimes have to help each other discover more of ourselves much as i'm trying to help farmers discover more of what they can you know, find within their own businesses to, to, to latch onto. Farmers innovate. You give them one idea and they'll come back with three more. You know, it's, it, that's part of the privilege, part of the joy. You're not, I'm not particularly clever. I just have the opportunity and the privilege of being able to think a little bit away from the job because of the data and everything that's made available to me. But I'll give, I'll have a discussion with a farmer and next thing you know, he's got three more ideas and, you know, I, I pinch them and go off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, I've been around, um, my, my grandfather was a farmer, my dad was a farmer and farmers all my life and you're, and they're very innovative. And so the ideas yes. and the innovation, we don't have to bring um, to them because they have it. We have to, we have to one, uh, you know, be their support network, both in, in business as well as, as a personal support. And I really appreciate you um, sharing that with me and, and um, how we can be there for each other. And, it, you know, it sounds like be there and listen and um, show you care. Um, it sounds, sounds simple for a, for a tough, a tough subject, but, you know, to, to really open up and, and be there for each other. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to add one more thing. I, I think one mean at my age, um, I, I, I don't care what people think anymore um, because I'm past my sell by day anyway. And so I fight. And so, for instance, I, I, I write a column over here once a, a month. Um, and this week my column came out and I was able to make the statement that uh, vocational pig producers care for their sick pigs better than our National Health Service is currently able to care for our sick um, people. Um, and we need to get the balance right. Uh, we get a lot of the problems of, you know, rogue videos and all that over here. We're really under the cosh at the moment. But I'm on the front foot. I, I'll go straight back out and say, I'm sorry, that's, um, that's an unsubstantiated assumption that you're making here. And if you come in and look, you will see how well these animals are actually cared for. Um, and, and the whole animal welfare, we need to be out on the front foot because we're allowing the media to say what it likes. 
Uh, and as I say, most of it is unsubstantiated assumptions. So, yeah, I, uh, that bit I really love now. I'll, I will go out and I will fight, not loudly or opinionated, just just sharing from experience. You need to go and look because you're getting it wrong, you know. The other thing over here is we're 50% outdoor, 50% indoor virtually, and everybody's assuming that outdoor is is better. No, it's not better. It's different. But it's not better. And it's no better advert for animal welfare than indoor production if you go to a well-run indoor farm. So we need to fight as well. And I think sometimes that's what people who struggle feel nobody's fighting for me. You know, nobody's representing me and I'm becoming weighed down if I switch the news on, if I read a newspaper, if I talk to somebody in the supermarket. They're all on about animal welfare and how cruel we are, you know. And, and I got nobody seeming to, out of the industry, stand up and, and, and shout. And, and um, it's important. I, I, just naming one name on LinkedIn today, Todd Thurman had a, um, a post around that area. Good for him. You know, he's, he's saying, look, we need to look at this properly. We need to understand what's going on here properly and not be under the weight of, of pressure that we are at the moment from the animal welfare lobby. And I, I will stand with him in that. I agree with that. Yeah, we definitely have to be advocates for um, for what we do and what we stand for. And and I think that that kind of envelopes into the the general personality of farmers and, and, you know, we're not boastful there, you know, we're, we're, and so, and so some of that, you know, is hard for us to do, but absolutely. And, and, you know, like you said, you can, you can say it as you see it now at this point in your career. And, and I think we we need that. Right. (laughs) So, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I often get granddad. You can't say that. Like, I can, <laughs> and I am. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. I think we could talk for um, another hour because yes. it's been it's <laughs> been very very wonderful. And and I want to tell um, the listeners that you have some great uh, articles um, on your LinkedIn page. So if you want to learn more and dig in a little deeper about some of the specific topics that we just barely covered. Um, visit uh, Stephen's LinkedIn page. And, and so I appreciate reading some of those and, and keep them up. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. AccuFast, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Start creating your future today at AccuFastSwine.com. Feedflow. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Take control with Feedflow. At a sale. Provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. We have a time and labor saving product for you. AgriSlats by Healthy Farms is your solution. No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With AgriSlats, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com. And so as we round up here, there's three questions that we always ask our guests. Um, and so the, the first one is, um, give us your favorite book um, or resource that you use that's in the area of your expertise. 
A book that has really helped me is, um, and I'm, I was never the brightest boy at school, but it helped me understand what we're up against and what every farmer is up against. It's called Radical Uncertainty. It's written by two economists, one of who was the Governor of Bank of England. John Kay uh, is an economist and uh, Mervyn King was the Governor of the Bank of England. They wrote a book five or six years ago called Radical Uncertainty. Um, and it really does help you understand risk management um, and get your whole mind thinking about risk management. And to be honest, it's one of the main elements of, of, of farming. It is risk management. Um, and so you learn to work out what you can manage and what you can't manage. And I think that's that helped me a lot, really. I mean, there's, I could think of a score of books that I'd love to talk about. But if, if I had to say one that really helps is it that's the one for me that really got me thinking about risk management and uh, and liability and all of that kind of thing which pig herds carry a massive economic liability um which if you suddenly stop them with a disease or you close them down over a welfare issue they have got a huge economic liability being carried at that moment um and and that is a huge risk to be running with every day um, so that's a good book to look at. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, and how about your favorite book or resource outside of ag? Um, <laughs> well, it, it, it uh, I have a, um, yeah, the only book that I read every day and it's annual, it goes right. So it's, it's a book of daily readings, basically. And it's by an old guy who died many, many years ago called Oswald Chambers. It's my utmost for his highest. And I read it and there's always something new every year on the page that I'd read last year and didn't get when I read it last year. So, you know, anybody who finds something that inspires them um, and and that's a choice. So I, I can't impose that choice on anybody. Um, but I, I would say find something that gets to your heart, that engages with the whole of who you are. Um, you know, look for a book, talk to friends. They may have their own suggestions. Talk to people about you. I think your question is a wonderful question. And, and maybe my recommendation is go and ask everybody else the question that I've just been asked. What is the book that you would choose? And you will get a list of inspirational books. It's not, you know, the funniest book I've read or, you know, it's the books that inspired you to be a better person, really. I think that's that's where I, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I like the daily reflection as well. And so the last one, Stephen, is to share with us an attribute or characteristic that you feel um, professionals have that puts them apart from other from other people. I think um, where you've got professionals who are, you know, clearly focused, I think that's the key. I think um, I use the word focused in focused strategic precision um, husbandry because focused is a word that was applied to people like Charles Darwin who they focused on a specific subject. They weren't polymaths. They, They went as deeply into the subject that was closest to their heart. So when you find professionals that are passionate about what they do and you you get to know them and you realize they are completely focused, these are the people that leave something in the world when it's their time to go. Um, and so, you know, the, the, these people, there's, there's a massive legacy left in this world from people who were focused 
in what they were doing. So in the professions, uh, whatever they are, it's those people that are the set that that sets them apart from everybody else. Um, and, and that's really important. Um, my biggest contention in my industry is with sales and marketing. Um, at, at all times, really, we are overpromised so much. And yet, within the promise is real promise. But it's often the work of the scientists that's being tarted up and pushed out too soon. Um, and that, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's those that are focused, really focused. They're the people that leave something in this, uh, in this world. I think those are great thoughts to end with. I so much have um, enjoyed meeting you and visiting with you. And I can see the, the passion on your face um, and your excitement for our industry. And so I appreciate your time. Um, again, thanks for listening. This is uh, Stephen Hall and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tara. Really appreciate that. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time-consuming and requires technical know-how. But don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.